Dotnet Rocks, episode 1107, with guest Mads Christensen. Recorded Friday, February 20th, 2015. And that's how you do that, Richard. Indeed. I made, I just had some breakfast, actually. Well, good. Wow. Yeah. Is that where we're going? That's today? where we're going. Well, I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> what was amusing me was that I made, it was my own corned beef. I didn't even blink the fact that I grabbed a piece of my own corned beef, sliced it, sliced it into chunks, threw it in a fry pan with some onions and stuff, threw eggs on top, breakfast. You made it from yourself? I made from scratch. My corned beef, <laughs> I made from scratch. I didn't okay. grow the cow. I just bought a chunk of cow and then I pickled it. Now it's corned beef. Wow, that's great. Adventures in meat. Adventures. Well, if I'm going to live with a vegetarian, the least I can do is make serious meat. Tottenham <laughs> Rocks will not be here today. Instead, we bring you Adventures in Meat. In meat. Yeah. Well, we, that just might be a geek out, actually. I think I could do an hour on meat. Well, we did a barbecue geek out with Ronnie We did Shusha. with Ronnie. He was awesome. Yeah. Well, maybe, uh, you know, pickling and all that stuff. That's yeah. a whole other thing. Making pastrami. That's what I did this past summer was making pastrami. Yeah, which is what smoked corned smoked beef. Corned really. beef, yeah. Yeah, good. All right, let's roll the music. I got something for you. All right. What do you got, buddy? Uh, I am not going to uh, steal Mads' thunder on ASPNet.vnext. However, uh, I will tell you a little bit about Visual Studio 2015 CTP5. Ooh. If you go to tinyurl.com slash VS2015, wow. 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 <laughs> wow. <laughs> this is just, uh, this is from January 16th. So, you know, it's a month old or so, but, uh, it does have some really cool things. If you've got your head in the sand and you're not paying attention about what's coming down the pike in Visual Studio 2015, this is a good place to start. Uh, the XAML language service. So in this release, they've rebuilt the XAML language service on top of Roslyn so they can provide you with fast and reliable XAML editing experience that includes IntelliSense. Oh. IntelliSense. Fancy. Makes the XAML authoring experience equal to other first-class languages in Visual Studio. And they'll also be able to deliver powerful feature sets around cross-language refactoring to put you at a much faster cadence. Yeah. And it sort of speaks to the sort of reality that you are always going to write some XAML by hand. There's, this is not going to be, we've debated this a few times with various folks like Billy around the designer experience versus the coder experience. Yeah. I think the, I think pretty much the designer is not used. That's now, what I, I think. I wonder if that's true. I'm going to have to find somebody who loves the designer. Yeah, good luck that with one that. one guy, whoever that is. <laughs> <laughs> good luck with that, okay. especially with this kind of stuff coming uh, in. Also, there's a timeline tool, and I'm just reading from the website here. Inspect and diagnose performance issues in your WPF and Windows 8.1 applications. Our new timeline tool provides you the scenario-centric view of the resources that your apps consume, which you can use to improve the performance of your apps. So it's the in the performance and diagnostics hub. The timeline tool shows you how much your uh, how much time your application spends in preparing UI frames and in servicing networks and disk requests, and it does so in the context of scenarios such as application load and page load. Nice. How about that? That's pretty cool. Because you know it's it's sort of a black box sometimes. Yeah. Why is this taking so long? You know? And I don't feel like writing code to measure it. Yeah. He's, he's sticking little debug print statements all through the flipping thing. <laughs> exactly. Right? And timestamps and stuff. Yeah. Thrilling yeah. code. That's how I like to spend my day. <laughs> What'd you do today, honey? Oh. oh, we had a jaundiced baby. What'd you do? Oh, I was uh, sticking timestamps and console write line statements all over my code <laughs> to find out where the bottleneck was. <laughs> oh. oh. Yeah, it's uh, Michelle, Michelle LaRue Bustamante's husband, Andreas, is a doctor. <laughs> and they do that same thing. Right. What did you do today? I saved lives. That's what did you right. do? <laughs> it's like, I saved CPU cycles. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. 
Oh, anyway, that's that's what's going on. Uh, tinyurl.com slash VS2015. Wow. I, I do feel like that's this is a, bra- a major version of studio. You know, in some ways, 2012 and 2013 sort of built on what 2010 did. I know a lot of people who, while they ha- are running the latest version, are still using 2013 like it's 2010. Yeah. And he said, I got to encourage them. You need to go look at some of these features. But 2015 is one of those leaps. Well, I'm, I'm stoked. Well, and Rosalind's really the star of the show because yeah. it just enables so many cool things. Yeah. It's, it's, it's everywhere. It's kind of stunning, really. Yeah. All right. Who's talking to us, my friend? Grabbed a comment off of show 1021, the one we did with one Scott Hunter, where we were talking about the evolution of ASP.net. Yeah. And uh, not that that comment is necessarily about this. This is Nathan Vivo, who it's, it's a lengthy comment, but I really appreciated his thinking here okay. uh, and, and pretty much agree with him completely, too. Uh, he says, I see you guys sometimes sound surprised or puzzled about why people would really want to run .NET on Linux in the real world. I mean, other than the because we can reasons. Money. <laughs> or Xamarin and Android. So I thought I'd share some of my reasons that I hardly see anyone talking about. First, I have some apps that need to talk to Linux servers. Some need to parse logs and check what is going on here and there, and some need to control services from ASP.NET dashboards. There are lots of apps that just run better on Linux, like Asterisks, which I totally agree with. It's a great VoIP product, I arguably the best one. Is that what you have in your house there? I know I have uh, Response Point, which is a Windows product, which is a Microsoft product, which has been abandoned. Ah, uh, nice. Postfix, which again, one of the best mail services ever. Uh, MySQL, ugh. Postgres, love it. Uh, there are lots of ways to do it, like shell scripts, SSH integration, exporting files via FTP, but for commercially supported apps, nothing beats having a service running there. It allows more control, flexibility, speed, and keeps our code in the same language. I've been coding Windows services running on Mono and using the Web API for communication, and I have nothing to complain about. It just works. Yeah. That's really a compelling thing. And, you know, funny part is that is exactly how Strange Loop worked under the hood, too. But uh, most people just don't know that. Uh, second, being able to run .NET on Linux is great for cloud platforms. When you need to have a dozen machines, those extra bucks for Windows licenses start to add up. And of course, it depends on what you are doing, because it is not U.S. everywhere in the world. Here in Brazil, license costs are much higher in, in a proportion to income, I guess, than in the U.S. Even Azure is almost $50 cheaper for Linux than Windows machines on a medium virtual machine. Money. See? Comes down yeah. to money. But even running in Azure, right? Uh, not everyone wants to run their apps in the cloud here in Brazil. The issue is more about connectivity than security. Mm. Well, as an infrastructure guy, let me tell you, I know it yeah. is hard to get down to Brazil. Yeah. Uh, most places only have a single broadband provider. No one wants their businesses to stop because the internet is down sometimes, which happens. Uh, lots of places are simple stores and offices that pay 50 to a hundred dollars a month for on-premise software for specific needs. For this kind of customers, a Windows license is 10 times their monthly operational cost for the software they're using. And good luck telling them, yeah, but over the years it pays up because there's just no maintenance on these servers. They set it up, they just turn it on and off. And by telling them we can run a software on Linux opens up lots of business opportunities. Okay. But for me, .NET and C-Sharp is the best development platform out there. It's evolving, it's been maintained, and it has great tools. I'll keep running my Windows machine for development, and I'll still buy components I need for my products. I'll still use SQL Server in some cases, because it's a great product. Visual Studio is still the best IDE, and we will pay for that. But if Microsoft can offer me Linux VMs with Mono for my ASP.NET sites, I'll pay for that too. Stick around. Absolutely. The money is still moving around. It's not about ditching Windows. It's about having choice when it makes sense. And I'm really glad that Microsoft is finally moving in this direction. And in the current world, it just opens up more possibilities for all of us as developers and probably for Microsoft's market share. Yeah. Long comment, but really a great one. Nathan, thank you so much. I couldn't agree more. It's great to see someone really doing it and happy to send a .NET Rocks mug down to Brazil. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on any of our mobile apps. We've got them for Android, iOS, Windows 8, and Windows Phone. And before we go any further, let me tell you that Pluralsight is home to the biggest online technology and creative training library on the planet. They have over 3,500 developer, IT, and creative training courses authored by MVPs and industry experts and offer a 10-day free trial for 200 minutes. Pluralsight offers a full curriculum on web development with over 100 courses on ASP.NET development, over 80 courses on jQuery, over 100 on JavaScript, and over 80 on HTML5 programming. Try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. You know, I wonder, 
Why do we need 100 courses of JavaScript? <laughs> How many on C Sharp? Maybe five. Uh, <laughs> no, there's know. quite a few. No, but- no I know. I know that. Yeah, it's a, it's it is such a diversity out there. I'm, but I'm I'm I. It's a yeah. joke, people. It's yeah. so many things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, JavaScript is sort of uh, does everything, so yeah. that's why there's so many courses on it. Yeah, and there and there are lots of flavors too. Yeah, and that brings us to Mads. Mads Christensen is a senior program manager on the web platform and tools team at Microsoft, working on the web developer experiences of Visual Studio. He has over a decade of experience in developing web applications on the Microsoft platform, which got him the honor of becoming both an ASP.NET MVP and ASP Insider. Mads is also the creator of BlogEngine.net, Web Developer Checklist, and Web Essentials Image Optimizer and Voice Commands for Visual Studio. Welcome back, Mads. Thank you very much. Boy, the last time we talked, we were in Oslo, weren't we? We were in uh, Malmö, Sweden, Sweden for the Oradev conference. Oh, that's where it was, yeah. Yeah, like I think almost a year and a half ago, actually. Yeah, right. it's been a while. Yeah. So you guys have been busy over there on ASP.NET. Oh, yeah, pretty uh, pretty busy for the last uh, year and a half, I would say. Uh, that's when it really started picking up with the new ASP.NET 5 and the new tooling that that sort of is necessary to, to that goes along with it. Um, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, it's been busy and it's been challenging and it's been like the best challenges uh, that, you know, someone like me as a program manager, like this is sort of the best, uh, the best challenges you can get because we have to greenfield a lot of things and we have to rethink um, how, what should the web development experience be if we were to start today, mm-hmm. like on a, on a clean slate and say, what do we want to do? What is the best way to build websites? And so... The ASP.NET, the framework itself, and MVC and Web API and all those things, the framework itself uh, had that challenge, right? They could start all over. What would it look like? Mm-hmm. But also on the on the web tooling side in Visual Studio, like what does it mean to be the best, to give the best possible experience for web developers? So uh, there, it's multifaceted in that sense, and it's been like a great challenge to make all the Lego pieces fit together with runtime and tooling yeah. and static content, CSS, JavaScript, and all that sort of stuff. Is there? So, it, was I right in saying that um, Rosalind is sort of the linchpin of all these great new things that we can do with Visual Studio and ASP.NET? Um, well, Rosalind has a lot uh, to do with ASP.NET uh, 5 for sure, yeah. And so we're actually also moving... Um, the old, the other versions of like the previous versions of ASP.NET in Visual Studio now also is powered by Roslyn, and so it's it it really helps because the way that we can uh, understand the code when we write an editor for writing Racer, for instance, now we understand the code a lot better uh, because of the code analysis uh, that's built into Roslyn. So it actually it does mean a lot of things, but it it doesn't mean anything for let's say the HTML in general or CSS, JavaScript, mm-hmm. less SAS, CoffeeScript. Those editors, JSON, mm-hmm. for instance, yeah. has nothing to do with uh, Rustin at all. Now you drive the whole Web Essentials thing. I mean, I got to think this is a total rewrite for you. No, not at all. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, there's been the only difference is that in the Markdown editor that's part of Web Essentials. Um. It actually supports, you know, when you have when you write a README markdown file for your GitHub repository, right. and you can you can add code blocks, right? So you know, three backticks and then the name of the language, and then uh, you can give it, uh, you know, create some code samples. And what we actually do there is that we open what's called a projection buffer, and we inject that language into the markdown editor. Wow. So if you do like CSS, you get full CSS intelligence. If you do C sharp, you get full C sharp intelligence, and that was different uh, this time around with Rustlin because now the way we kind of injected C Sharp before was sort of a little bit hacky reflection kind of thing, uh, but now it's sort of more like first class citizen um, and and much easier. We're not we're not kind of there yet with Rustlin and the Markdown. Uh, there's still some work to do, uh, but it's now it's going to be possible to do it sort of the real way. Can we back up a little bit and just talk about Web Essentials a little bit? Yeah, yeah. What is that exactly? <laughs> so Web Essentials is this free extension for Visual Studio that is uh, currently out now in a version for Visual Studio 2015. So this will be the fourth version of Visual Studio that has a Web Essentials extension, um, which is really exciting. And, and um, it basically gives you a lot of the features that 
Visual Studio doesn't have yet. So the way we think about it is that's sort of a sandbox. It's where we play around with new features. It's where we can get away with more stuff um, because we can kind of push the envelope and, and get you on the cutting edge of web development. So we have a lot of, um, of new things. And the whole point of Web Essentials is that we try out all these new things and then we move them into Visual Studio proper at some point, right? In update one or two or, or whatever it might be. Okay. So, it's, so a, it's, it's, a, it's a testing ground. And it's a win for you when one of those things gets grabbed and pulled into the main product. First of all, when that, yeah, exactly. That is a huge win because one thing is that, you know, I can write a specification to the development team and say, hey, this is exactly what I want. Like, here's a Word document, maybe with some uh, mockups or wireframes. That's one way of specifying how a feature should work. Another one is, here is a working example that's been in the wild for eight months that has been iterated over, um, like having feedback coming in from the community. Right. And, and maybe even pull requests from the community and say, yeah, it should work this way. And, you know, slowly hone in on the exact correct user experience. Wow. And that becomes a specification all of a sudden. So I can tell the developer, here's the feature in Web Essentials. Like, you can just install Web Essentials, see how it works. I want that. So did um, some of the features that came out of Web Essentials, like uh, CSS, IntelliSense, and that kind of stuff, those those things wouldn't probably not have happened as well or as fast without it, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. Because mm. the there's it takes a lot of the questions out of uh, the equation here. So usually when we do a new feature, there's a lot of ping pong back and forth between like developers and program management, and you know to come up with the best user experience. And that that adds a little overhead. It's great to have that communication, of course, hmm. but it does add overhead. And um, doing it this approach, where typically I just prototype some things and let it mature in Web Essentials, um, kind of eliminates uh, this step completely. And so the developer can much much faster develop it, um, and we don't have to worry about any like edge cases or anything like that in the user experience because that's all been taken care of. Yeah. But it must be an yep. interesting group of folks that you're that are using this thing. It's not for everybody, but really keen web developers. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's probably stuff in there for everyone. I think everyone would probably think it's it's uh, it adds value. Right. Uh, obviously, there's uh, most of the stuff in there is specific for web development. It's specifically made for HTML and JavaScript and CSS. But then there's other stuff like there's a markdown editor. Like markdown, anything anyone that's on GitHub probably needs markdown files. Right. Um so so there are some of these like general interest kind of features as well, but I try to minimize it to be very web specific. And Whenever I have an idea that sort of doesn't fit the bill of being a web thing, I create a new extension that's a standalone, small little extension, single hmm. purpose for that thing. Nice. Um, and I've started doing that in the in the course of the last year. Uh, first of all, to keep Web Essentials clean and focused, uh, but also because sometimes um, the thing with big extensions is that sometimes you install a big extension for one specific feature only. Right. And then you get the rest. And... Um, sometimes that's not what you want. You just want that one feature. And so separating things out is a good idea. But in terms of the amount of people that install Web Essentials and therefore having so many people uh, writing feedback on the individual little features and help actually improve the experience, um, probably could not have been done by small little individual extensions uh, right. because they simply just won't have the download number that Web Essentials got. So. Yeah, it's um, got to be an interesting battle between keeping it lean in a small install and having enough stuff in there that people will experiment with it and actually, you know, give you some good feedback. Yeah, exactly. So, and, and that has been a lot of the feedback was that, hey, it's too big, it's too monolithic. Uh, there are features that crashes sometimes and so on. So the, the version of Web Essentials for Visual Studio 2015 has been reduced in size, like, dramatically. So instead of being, like, 18 megabytes, it's now down to 1,700. And hmm. uh, a lot of the features has gone away because there are now features in Visual Studio that takes over. Wow. So it's it's a much smaller, much leaner code base. And I know from the, I mean, I get crash reports. Uh, I know that the by far the vast majority of the issues that Web Essentials have caused, like in terms of instability, uh, all have happened in the components that are no longer there in Web Essentials 2015. So. Um, in terms of stability going forward, it's going to be much better. It's going to be much smaller. It's going to be much easier to understand if you want to contribute 
send pull requests to Web Essentials. I think now it's 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 much easier to actually figure out what's going on and how how to contribute and all that. So it's a lot of wins in that sense. And and, um, and it, uh, just to make it clear, this stuff's all on GitHub. There's no magic. You can look at the source. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You contribute to the source. Yep. Do you have it's many contributors? Open. Yes, there's, um, well, for, for Visual Studio 2015, there's been a little sporadic. Um, obviously, not that many people have Visual Studio 2015, so right. it hasn't really taken off yet. Uh, but I do have some uh, contributors. There's a lot of contributors for the 2013 version. Yeah, That's looking the at the highest. 2013, 50 contributors, right. tw- uh, 2,600 commits. Like, yeah, yeah, this is what you call a busy project. Yeah. And still so, being updated. That's really interesting. Yeah, it's kind of cool, and and uh, but my focus now is more on the 2015 because right. um, there's a lot of things that I have to like housekeeping I have to do in 2015 because the the various APIs in Visual Studio change because we're not done with Visual Studio 2015 yet, right? So right. Yeah. things are changing, moving around, and you know namespaces change and all these sort of things. So a lot of the work I do is actually uh, keeping up to date with that and also removing features that we then move into Visual Studio proper. So uh, there is further reduction that's going to happen in the code base. Um, so for instance, today uh, or yesterday, um, one of the devs here on the on the web team uh, committed the feature of wrapping any HTML, se- any selection in HTML with a tag. Right? So you just select, select some text, hit a keyboard combination, and it's it's surrounded by by a div tag, for instance. Oh, right. nice. And that was that was in Web Essentials. It's it's something from the Sublime has had it for a while, and that's where I got the idea. And 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 that's a perfect example of of a thing that has been like uh, matured over time, and now just moved in re- very easily uh, into Visual Studio proper. So that's a feature that I'm now going to have to delete <laughs> from Web Essentials. Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be a real scramble for you when you get a new version of Studio coming down, especially we applied this at the beginning of the show here. 2015 to me seems like a big version. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a lot of new concepts, a lot of uh, new ideas. Uh, it, it, it's sort of a game changer in a lot of ways for not just for the web thing, but for a lot of, of, of different aspects of Visual Studio. It's a big release. It's a big, big, big release. And that's exciting, too. I, I got a question from a listener here uh, about the community edition of Studio, which we really haven't talked about much yet. I don't know if you're involved with that. Uh, I'm more on the sideline of that. Um, sure. I'm actually more involved in that from a Web Essentials point of view than I am from my sort of my day job. Web Essentials is my spare time, right? That's my hobby project. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's just the fun stuff. <laughs> yeah, but I am being drawn into some of the extensibility talks like of the Visual Studio core extensibility team right. uh, because of my work with Web Essentials. So it's it's through that channel that I'm sort of maybe a little bit in the know of the community edition, but um, n- not through my... my and as I understand it, the fundamental difference between community and Express is that community does allow extensions and Express did not. Exactly. Right. And so, of course, that means you've got to have Web Essentials playing on community edition. Oh, yeah. And it's fully supported. So that that already works. So if Web Essentials is your off hours job, what's your real job? <laughs> yeah. What do you well, do all day? <laughs> well, a lot of things. We have um so the web team, we we have we own seven of the editors in Visual Studio. I think by far that we're the team that has most of the editors. We're we're a ten people team. And we have uh HTML editor, we have the web forms editor, CSS, Less, SAS, CoffeeScript, and now JSON. Right. Um and as a new thing, we're going to have, which we're working on right now, is to get the React.js or the JSX editor um, in there. So we're going to have eight editors. And so that's one part of it. Another part of it is that we also do all the work for BrowserLink. Um, What's BrowserLink? BrowserLink is this very interesting uh, bi-directional communication channel between Visual Studio and any web browser, whether it be like Chrome, Firefox, IE. Or wow. an emulator, right? It could be your iPhone emulator or Android or whatever. And you use, use that mostly when you're using Visual Studio, right? It's only it's a Visual Studio only feature. So the idea is that so what we have now is um, we have a way of you from within Visual Studio. Let's say you make a change in C sharp or your Racer file or JavaScript, you can hit a keyboard combination and all your browsers refresh, right? So you don't have to like Alt Tab into the browsers, hit F5, right? Those sort of you can just stay, let's say you have Visual Studio on one monitor and your browser's on a, on a second monitor. You stay in Visual Studio, you hit that keyboard 
combination. Visual Studio still has focus. You can continue writing, but your other monitors now update their browsers, right? And this is why I need five screens, boss. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you wanted to run on all the browsers. I need to see them all. Yeah. Exactly. Especially now with this feature. And and so we, we've got some great uh, updates for that. Like um, we recently did uh, CSS auto sync is what we call it. So basically as you type CSS, the browsers update. You don't even have to save the document. As soon as you hit the semicolon at the end of your property uh, declaration, nice. It, the browsers just update. That's and it, it's we're talking milliseconds here. Like you wow. can't like from the minute you you finish a from the minute your your C sharp uh, sorry your CSS rule is valid. Like you added the semicolon for instance, it updates. It's it's so fast, and it even works with less in SAS. So it, even if you have like preprocessors like Grunt or Gulp or whatever you might use to to uh, compile your less or SAS file into CSS, it still works. But the way it does it there is that it. You just save the file, and within a couple of milliseconds, you see that change on um, on the browser. It's gotta, so fast. It's amazing. I got to think that's a signal R magic there. That's right. Yeah. That's exactly <laughs> <laughs> You called it. It's wonderful stuff. Yeah. Sock it to your friend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we're going to have more stuff coming for that. So Web Essentials has a lot of features for that where it can do inspect mode. So you can put your browser in inspection mode, just like, you know, if you right-click a, a DOM element in the browser, you can say inspect element. Yes. So if you do that in Internet Explorer, that thing that you selected will also be selected inside Visual Studio. So it will open the the racer file or the static HTML file or partial or user control that con- that made up that piece of DOM in the browser and select it. So open the file in the preview tab and make a selection. So you can very easily see wh- what code in your project generated that DOM node at runtime. Nice. That's awesome. Because we have full source mapping from, uh, that's where the ASP.NET piece comes in, from the ASP.NET uh, runtime actually gives us uh, the information of what rendered DOM element came from where, including like C-sharp code, right? So we can take you all the way down to C-sharp code or Visual Basic. Um, so that's that's remarkable. Like no one else can do this. Uh, well, all they- these uh, features that you see that automatically sort of updates your uh, browser uh, is always only one directional. So it, it will update the browser, but it can't do more than that. It can't send information from the browser back into your IDE, right? Uh, and say so like browser sync and, and these other technologies that people use for this today. Whereas the one we've got that we call browser link is uh, a bi-directional channel. So we can actually analyze your page and I experiment with that in in um, Web Essentials, where I look at, oh, did you remember everything? Like, do you have a description meta tag? Um, uh, what we we're gonna, what we we're kind of playing around with now is to do like an access accessibility check of your page. Again, we cannot do this unless it's being run in the browser, because we don't know the actual rendered DOM, except for in the browser. That's what happens when you do dynamic like server side with ASP.NET. Mm-hmm. But also with, with, let's say, Angular, you use some client-side templating. You yeah. have to run the app to know what the DOM is. So imagine that your running app in the browser will give you information about, hey, is this does this meet the accessibility standards that's required? A lot of people have, like if you build websites for governmental institutions or so on, it's actually by law that you have to be right accessibility uh, in your website. Right. And so we can do all sorts of checks like that, including like running through like perf uh, perf runners like um, uh, Google PageSpeed Insights that says, oh, yeah, this element, uh, you know, you, you forgot to do this and that. And we can actually, instead of just giving you errors in Visual Studio from from the services that we call from the rendered output, we can actually also fix it for you. So let's say that you have an error that says, oh, you don't have a robots.txt. Not necessarily an issue, except that all search engines will try to access it, and they will give, get a 404, and that can be more expensive than actually having a just a baseline robots.txt, right? right? So let's say that it comes in and says, hey, you don't have a robots.txt. Well, you can just click the arrow, and it'll say, hey, do you want me to add one for you? you just click yes. <laughs> wow, cool. Um, so that's sort of the, and I think that's going to be more in the future of of development, um, like IDEs going forward. It's going to be the the tighter integration to other services, like online services, that automatically just kind of augments your experience. It's not that you as a developer are going to notice that there's other services in play here and you have to sign up to all sorts of different things to make it work. It's more like um, calling into accessibility checkers and performance uh, analyzers and all sorts of things 
that information can be fed back in real time and Visual Studio can help you fix things before you even know that it's a thing you need to fix, right? It's about like being one step ahead of the user without being in the way of the user. That's sort of the big, uh, sort of the holy grail is to uh, be one step ahead without being in the way and kind of be like a thinking IDE. That's sort of the way I kind of like to to, uh, address it. Like the thinking IDE knows what your next move is, present you with the... uh, with the uh, like the fixes or will do stuff for you. And so at the end of the day, the idea is that you potentially write less code and it's going to be a much higher quality that will going to work great on, you know, responsive, uh, like work great on a mobile phone, work great on a tablet, work great on a large screen, be accessible, have good performance and all that. And it's sort of just built into your normal workflow, right? That's, that is great. And, and we're moving there. We're moving there slowly, but uh, I think that's going to be, we're going to see a lot of that coming out uh, in the future. So uh, obviously there's a lot of things coming in the future and uh, some we've talked about, some we haven't, but what can you, uh, can you give us some juicy tidbits of things that we can look forward to that people may or may not know about? Yeah, I think like, uh, as I was mentioning before, we're doing this react JS um, editor and that's new. We haven't been speaking about that. Um, we just started prototyping. So basically what react JS is it's a it's a JavaScript framework mm-hmm. that is created by Facebook, and it's gained a lot of popularity. And why we need special tooling for it is because they have a new syntax called JSX, so JavaScript X. Kind of think about that. And basically, what it is is it mixes XML into JavaScript. Okay. So think about like Visual Basic uh, XML literals, right? You can literally write XML inside Visual Basic. It's the same thing here, but what they use it for is for HTML. So HTML is also XML, right? Or can sure. also be XML. So imagine that you write a JavaScript file, and instead of uh, instead of uh, like creating a new template language like you would in Angular or with handlebars or one of those JavaScript templating uh, frameworks, you simply just write the markup in the JavaScript file. Now, the problem with that is we don't have a JavaScript editor that's capable of having... Uh, XML syntax or or HTML inside um, inside the JavaScript. It's not like it's quoted inside a string. It's literally <laughs> it's literally like HTML inside your JavaScript file. Wow! And so we're we're starting to prototype that, and we've been in contact with um, with the Facebook team that that writes um, the React JS framework. And so so we're we're like on page with with how what they suggest that we do and you know we've asked them to what are the pitfalls here what should we look out for and and they've been really helpful and um basically the way we're going to do it is uh the first time we're ever going to do something this crazy and basically what we're doing is we are parsing your jsx code so your javascript with the xml inside of it mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're through node.js we're executing the official parser of jsx that creates a source map and that source map gives us the actual return type in JavaScript of what those XML literals are. And we're sticking that information back into the JavaScript language service in VS. So you get 100% accurate um, like IntelliSense and completion because the, the, what's returned from your XML statements are, is the actual JavaScript that it generates. And that, hmm. that's kind of very interesting because... Um, first of all, uh, we, we're going to have to run node. So that's yeah. a new one. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, and, and do source map and all those things. So, um, I'm really excited for this because it's the right way of doing it. We're prototyping right now. It's also a little bit, uh, risky, I think, uh, because now there's a lot of moving parts. Right. Uh, that we don't, we don't usually have that when we build the editors. Uh, so this, it had a lot of moving parts this time. And, um, but the good thing is we, we, we ship node XE. The, the node runtime, we actually shipped that in Visual Studio 2015. So that component we already have. Hmm. And so so we can do some magic there. So I think that's gonna be that's gonna be really interesting. I really like uh, JSX and the React JS framework. I think it makes a lot of sense. Sure does. And it's like a new way of looking at at writing uh, like JavaScript apps basically. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I'm all for it. And it's the highest requested feature uh, for any web tooling in Visual Studio. And the numbers, it just keeps, like, the user voice ticket for it just keeps getting votes, and um, and now it's coming. So I hope that it's going to be out for for when Visual Studio 2015, RTM, 
the final version of 2015 lands yeah. uh, and is being released. So that's that's the hope. That's the goal. And I think we're going to do it. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. You know what time it is? Uh, must be that happy time again. You got it. It's time to write some code and write some code that writes some code that writes some code that writes some code that writes a Rosalind joke. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking when the Mads was talking there, it's like, there's a whole lot of inception going on right now. Layer upon layer upon layer upon layer. Hey, it's actually time to give away a Component One Studio Enterprise to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, let me tell you about Component One's .NET controls for professional developers. Whether you're building the most modern touch-enabled apps or maintaining and updating legacy applications, Component One's flagship product, Studio Enterprise, helps to deliver rich, responsive desktop and web apps on time and under budget. All right, buddy, who's our winner? Today's winner is Thomas Karf from South Dakota. Congratulations, Thomas. Yeah. Clap a clap for you. And you think it's cold in New England? Go to South Dakota. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little winter time going there. Just talking to Doug Wolverton. We, uh, uh, my wife and I went to see him. He does this live show called A Tribute to Miles Davis, which is he pay, plays the whole, uh, kind of blue album from start to finish and, uh, goes through anyway. So he's from South Dakota and he says, you know, you guys think this is cold. I went home over the holidays. And it was 20 below, and with a wind chill, it was 60 below. And that's Fahrenheit. Wow. 60 below with wind chill. Yeah, that's cold. That is cold. Hey, uh, if you don't know what we're talking about here, go to .netrocks.com and uh, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, uh, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors like the Component One Studio Enterprise. And every December, we give away $5,000 worth of technology to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And uh, we also like to ask our guest, Mads, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy? Yeah, I was thinking about that. Um, so today, I think, so I'm a kind of a minimalist when it comes to uh, like stuff I get that I keep hold on to, you know? But I think there's one thing that I absolutely must have, and that's the HoloLens. So oh. I think I'm going to keep my five grand, and I'm going to wait for the HoloLens and spend it on that. <laughs> Do you really think it's going to be five grand? I have no idea. I, now buy I, a bunch of them, hand them out to yeah. your friends, and have a party. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can I think all that, sit around and look at stuff that isn't there. <laughs> that would be amazing. I think if you if you can combine HoloLens with like a smarter, more, yeah, I don't know, a smarter version of Cortana. Mm. That can help me with uh, like coding tasks that are not actual the coding, the mm. discipline of coding, but mm. sort of the surrounding things. So I do a lot. For instance, here's an example. I do a lot of like maintaining our CSS schemas, right? So that's what makes up CSS IntelliSense, yeah. and also HTML IntelliSense and all that stuff. And a lot of it is like very structured XML, right? You can only do certain things that are sort of allowed by the vocabulary. Mm. So if I can like sit in my chair and uh, like do the whole like gesture based like minority report and just talk to the Cortana that yeah. understands my vocabulary of the XML. Yeah. That that would be that would be amazing. So I'm creating a new HoloLens based uh room for my office. It's just a big circle. It's just a circular room with white hmm. walls and a chair. Yep. <laughs> That's all you need. That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was that the didn't Harvard have a project called Cave that was like that? Uh, I don't, I don't know. Did they? Yeah, I think so. It, 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 you know, it was the beginning of the whole hollow deck effect. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Maybe I'll paint the walls black so I don't have to project so much light. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, Absolutely. yeah. It's going to be exciting. It really is. Yeah, I have no, no idea at this point what that thing's going to be, how much it's going to be, how we were going to program against it. I mean, there's a lot of factors here, but I, I hope it's great. Yeah. Sounds like it is. But you never know. I, last time I was on, you asked me the same question. I, I think I said something about NFC, like near-field communication, and mm -hmm. I was yeah. ordering this ring. And I think, Richard, you ordered the same ring. Yes. And and um, you know what? It it was more or less useless. So yeah. I think the idea was so interesting up front, but then it turned out to be 
like nothing. Like it didn't work. It wasn't. It didn't add any value. It was useless. Um, and I really hope that Hololens. <laughs> it's not going to be like that because it just looks too cool. Yeah, they said you need all of the pieces. You know, for it, for it to really take off, it has to have all of those pieces. The programming model is really important, and and the pricing is important. Like until that all ingredients are in place, you you can't have a hit. Yeah, you, you end up with a curiosity. Exactly, and that's what it that's what it was. The one thing I actually liked about the ring was that I could take. Uh, so there's a little chip on there, and I, it would fit some information. And I put down my contact information, like a V card. Right. And so the idea was when I was at a conference, which I go to quite often, and someone asked me for an email address, I could simply just take my ring. It's like it's a finger ring, right? And and bump it on their phone, any phone that has NFC enabled, and they would just get my contact information. Never once did I do that. <laughs> did nobody yeah. ask for your contact information or it never worked when you needed to uh no one asked right nobody wants to talk to you matt yeah yeah i know <laughs> they, like, hit me up on twitter right that's easier I don't yeah know. <laughs> yeah yeah the, the contact info thing is interesting uh i wanted to do rfid tag enabled doors in the house but the she who must be obeyed vetoed that <laughs> i just like the idea of you walk up to the door and it's locked i walk up to the door and it just opens and yep. you like that. I do. <laughs> Creepy. Well, my my current car now unlocks when I touch the handle because I have the key in my pocket. But it, it look you know, it's not me hitting the remote or pressing a button on the car or anything. I literally reach out, as soon as I touch the handle, the door unlocks. And then I open the door. I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I my car does the same thing and I have issues now. And so the same with the start button. So I actually only have my car keys in my backpack that I bring to work. Right. I never take my keys out of that. It just that's where they are. And so I can just open the door and I can push a button that says start, right? And the engine starts. And now I have this issue when I'm driving someone else's car, I forget to turn off the car. I forget to take the keys out of the ignition. I'm like <laughs> <laughs> And have you ever thrown your backpack in the trunk and you close the trunk and it keeps popping open? You're like, what the hell's wrong with my trunk? <laughs> and it, it's because it detected the keys and it won't let you close it in there. It's protecting you from yourself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, I want to jump back into this because I got to tell you, the thing I'm really enjoying with these new tools is the integration with all the third-party libraries. And like the one you mentioned, PageSpeed Insights. Uh, you know, I also like Website Optimizer. Like there's a ton, just a huge arc of tools out there. And being able to just pick the ones you like and make it part of your development stream, it makes a huge difference to me. What about Browser yeah. Shots? That's a great one, too. Browser Shots is a, you put in a URL, it goes there with every browser in the world, takes a screenshot, and then shows it to you. Yeah. If there's a way where that makes sense in a, uh, to somehow show up in Visual Studio automatically or with the press of a button from inside Visual Studio, and you don't necessarily know that Browser Shot behind the scene is actually what's doing it, but you know you just get to see the screenshots or whatever, right. then it might add value, right? So it's about figuring out like what what are the services out there that will add value in the context of Visual Studio and the, in the context of the workflow that you're in. Uh, I think that so there's that there, there has to be a balance like that because uh, just putting buttons in for browser shot and all that, you know, it will raise a little bit of discoverability for that service, but it might not add any value to have it in Visual Studio. So right. it's about finding the things that uh, will be will be natural for you in your workflow. To, to deal with and it, it it's also important for me that it just happens automatically behind the scenes i don't necessarily want that you go out and and uh, have to like press buttons for some of this to happen let's let's take the uh like page speeds inside right what will be really nice is when i write my javascript that i get an error in my javascript as i write it saying hey this is not the most performant way of writing a for loop right right uh, it could also be js hint or whatever it might be um, that would tell me like that. That's like the FX cop for JavaScript, for instance. But it could be anywhere, and I want it in the workflow I'm in. So if I'm writing JavaScript or HTML, and I made a, an issue with with the performance or accessibility, I want that error to show up right there as I'm writing it, not like later after I think about hitting a button that says check accessibility or check performance characteristics. That's not how I want it. I want it right there in the moment. Uh, while you know the code is fresh in my memory and all those sort of things, and so that's going to be the changing uh, factor, and that's going to be the balance. That's going to be a little tricky, um, but it's totally possible. 
Yeah, and I, and I think the big thing here is just having the, the options there. Uh, and Matthias Carlson fired me a tweet just asking about Gulp Watch as well, speaking of other third-party extensions. Yes, I saw that tweet. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, well, we have support for two new task runners in Visual Studio 2015. And they're JavaScript-based, and they run on Node behind the scenes. Right. You don't, you don't have to know that. You don't have to care about that. But that's Visual Studio is executing it using Node, mm-hmm. Node.js. And those task runners are really good for, uh, like, bundling and minification of your JavaScript and CSS files. It can move files around. It can do all sorts of client-side tasks, optimizing your images, um, compiling less SAS, CoffeeScript, um, and TypeScript and all that. So there's really there's so many benefits by using these, and they both have a great ecosystem. And, and I'm talking about Grunt and Gulp, those two task runners. And they have great right. ecosystems out there that f- they have existed for years. And by bringing them into Visual Studio as sort of first-class citizens, um, we also gain the huge ecosystem of plugins and all that that's already out there. Um, and that's immensely powerful. And um, and that gets so there's literally there's nothing that you want that hasn't been written as a plugin yet, right? It's all out there. It's all available for you. You can do some crazy scenarios. And the idea between Grunt and Gulp is that they are equally supported. So even though that right now in in Visual Studio 2015, in the CTP5, uh, that some people, maybe the the, the guy who asked the question, that he has the CTP5, we use Grunt by default. When you say file new ASP.NET 5 web app, we use Grunt. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean that Grunt is of a higher priority than Gulp, but you know we have to use one, and uh, and that's basically that's the answer to that. Um, but we can totally hook it up with bindings and watches and all that. So there was a bug in the in the CTP five of Visual Studio, where Gulp simply didn't work. Like, and and that was a terrible bug that we accidentally shipped. It has all been fixed now, and so I'm running on the latest and greatest here, uh, our internal builds, and uh, I'm running Gulp on a new website I'm building, and I'm running Gulp Watch. Uh, specifically, that was the question. I do that to compile less files. Okay. A- and it's so fast. It's it's not even funny. Like, when I when I save a less file, it compiles it in, like, sometimes less than a millisecond. Right, because Gulp, wow. ha- I don't know how they do it. They must be caching some things or whatever. Under a millisecond or around one millisecond, saves the uh, compiles the less into CSS, puts the you know uh, writes that on disk, the CSS file, and then browser link automatically updates my browser. So I save a less file, and like two milliseconds later, my browser update the 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 CSS, and the workflow is out of this world. Wow. It's better than what Web Essentials could do before. It was never that fast. It was never as flexible. And that's one of the things that that's why I've removed those features out of Web Essentials 2015 because it simply couldn't compete with what Grunt and Gulp offers. Right. right. And so that's also sort of that's part of what Web Essentials is. Like it's a testing ground. We ran the test for a couple of years, tried different configurations of how do we compile lists and SAS and CoffeeScript. Uh, what's required? What is it that the users want? What level of flexibility and granularity of, of control do they need? And there was no way we could do that in Web Essentials um, with simply just having a right-click menu that says, you know, compile this less file to CSS, right? There's way more granularity needed. And, and uh, okay, we learned that, and now we're, we're going with the Grunt and Gulp way. And so we're ditching sort of the that approach of Web Essentials. So I, I removed those components. Those were also the components that had most issues. Like by far. Huh. Wow. Uh, yeah. So if you go look at the issue tracker, it's like, it's all about that. Um, so It just pays to go with the top dog, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. So it's really great. I mean, um, the Grunt and Gulp integration really, really is amazing. And you're going to see in the next upcoming release that's coming out, um, there, it's even better than it was in CDP5 uh, for Grunt. You know, first of all, it supports Gulp in the next update. Uh, mm-hmm. But um, just the level of integration... The the fact that you don't have to use the console to do anything if if you don't want to. The the cool thing about how we're doing this, how we're integrating Grunt and Gulp, these node-based task runners, is that um, we don't do anything that you don't do from the command line. Right. Because, because our integration basically just acts as a proxy between you and the command line tools. That's all that happens. So we just have tooling that automatically calls the command line with the exact same commands and the exact same parameters as you would yourself. 
And what, what, why that is so important is that you might have a team member that's very comfortable with the command line, right? And prefers using the command line. Now, he has to work with someone that prefers not to use the command line. And so we have to create an experience that caters for both. That's tough. Uh, on the same code base, right? And we've totally succeeded with that. Like, totally succeeded because th this was like the ultimate priority. If we couldn't have that scenario working, this would not have happened. Like, there was no way we could have done, we would have done this. But mm. it does work and it works really, really well. And I think uh, a lot of people are going to be pleased because you can, you can sort of determine yourself. Like, how much do you want Visual Studio to handle for you? How much do you want to use the command line for? Like, either 100% on each side or a mix. And, and it allows for that because Visual Studio doesn't do anything. It doesn't add any Visual Studio specific things to grunt or gulp at all. It simply just acts as a proxy. And so that's really powerful. And the same goes for uh, sort of the two new package managers that we are including, which is NPM, the Node Package Manager, yep. and, and Bower, which is sort of the client-side library package manager. So the way that you uh, would get like jQuery and AngularJS and Bootstrap CSS, instead of getting that through NuGet, you would get it through Bower which is sort of what the rest of the world agreed was that was a good place to put all that stuff. Hmm. Um, NuGet was never really that good for delivering uh, client-side frameworks because it was very opinionated. Like you ha your jQuery has to go in a folder called scripts. And if you don't have a folder called scripts, it's going to create one and put it there. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> right? And, uh, and also, like the authors of jQuery and Bootstrap and, and you know, you name it framework, they're going to put their stuff on Bower. They're not going to put it on NuGet. So we had to take, actually, our team, we had to take a lot of these frameworks and maintain NuGet package versions of that. And so that meant we were, we were never uh, at the same time, like, it would, it would always be a delay till we got it on NuGet. We had to maintain it. Uh, a lot of community members tried to maintain it. And there were, like, duplicate packages all of a sudden because people didn't realize there was another one. And now we have duplicates of AngularJS. And it's a little bit more of a mess. So by, by using Bower, uh, we kind of streamline and and get into an ecosystem that has way more packages for client side than, than NuGet probably will ever have. And less work for you. Well, we had to kind of write the support for Bower, so. Yeah, but once you've done it, you've done it, right? Like, it's much easier to support the package manager than it is to duplicate packages into NuGet. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That That's true. So on the long term, it's a win for us in that sense, you're right. Sure, as and, well but, as just simpler for everybody. And we've been able to to really do some some crazy stuff. Um, so, of course, you can use the command line, right? You, you mm -hmm. simply write, like, Bower install Angular, right? And it installs Angular in your project. That's easy, easy enough. Right? Um, but the way we've done it is the way you, like with NuGet, you have a, a packages.config file, like an mm -hmm. XML file where you list all the packages. Um, Bower works the same way. It has a JSON file called Bower.json. And in there, we actually give you IntelliSense. So when you start saying, I want package, let's say you want to install Angular, we give you IntelliSense of the live registry of Bower of what packages are available. So you get full IntelliSense for all the packages, both for the names and for, for the version that you want to install. You get IntelliSense hmm. for that against the live source. So that is a little bit back to what we talked about before by having like these external online services augment your developer experience. Um, so we actually feed that in. Now, what's really cool is that what we're, what we're doing now is that when you then save your change you made to Bower.json, it automatically installs all the packages that are in there or updates them, whatever is needed. So if you remove something, if you add a package, just save the Bower.json file. Visual Studio takes care of the rest. And, and what it does is it just calls Bower install in, on the command line, right? It does the same thing at you, as you would. Uh, but those are sort of the tricks we can do to make it faster, easier, more fluent, uh, and also more like muscle memory. Like you don't have to deal with too many concepts if you don't want to. That's you don't what memorize the commands. You just exactly. click on it. It'll write the command for you. Yep. So we do that both for Bower. We do that for the Node Package Manager, NPM. Same deal. Uh, and we do it for our own ASP.NET 5 project.json file. You know, as soon right. as you save, it will install NuGet packages that the runtime depends on. And so it's about getting the exact same level of support for all these, uh, for, for NuGet, NPM, and Bower. They're all equally important to us now. It's not like NuGet number one and then, oh, yeah, and then, you know, we'll see what we can do for Bower and NPM. That's not how it is. It's like no. they're equally important because they yeah, solve no, I... three separate but very, very important things. 
So NuGet is where we get all our like DLL files, basically. We, we reference other projects, like a class library project that we have in the same solution, for instance, or a DLL file somewhere or a NuGet package up on NuGet.org. Right? When you're answering the question I have, which is you guys aren't going away from NuGet. You're letting NuGet do what it's good at, which is deal with the DLLs and working with Bower for everything JavaScript. Exactly. And then we're using Node, the, the NPM, the Node Package Manager, uh, to install tooling. And the tooling in this case is uh, what typically would be Grunt or Gulp, the task runners. Now, it's, it's, all of this is completely optional, right? We've, we've done it in a way that if you say file new project, ASP.NET 5, and you see, oh, there's, there's Bower components and, and node modules and Grunt files and all this sort of stuff, in order for you to get rid of it, all you have to do is delete those files. Nice. It's not like you have to go into the project file and remove some stuff or open the solution file in Notepad and like registry entries. Anyone? <laughs> exactly. Yep. The GAC. Yep. It's simply just delete the file and it's gone for good. Right. Right. There's no nothing left. There's no trace left of it. So that as was important as well. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so so that's I mean I'm I'm really really excited about that. So because what we're doing is we're basically bringing in existing huge huge ecosystems. And we're what I hope the outcome is going to be, and I hope that people, when they try it, agrees, is that we're making it easier to use. Um, the, I mean, if you're if you're sitting in on a Mac and Sublime Text, and you're using Grunt and Gulp and Bower and NPM today to build a website, right? You're 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 memorizing a lot of commands. You're having a lot of command line windows open at the same time. Uh, you're back and forth between your editor, your browser, your command lines, and, and there's a lot of things to keep track of. Sure. And so what we hope to do is to take these concepts that are new to most people or many people using Visual Studio, mm-hmm. take those concepts and really bringing them down to a level where they just become second nature. Like you can just use them. Yeah, exactly. You don't well, have in to- theory. If I get good at them, I should be able to outrun my sublime command line guy because the I can I do have my browser windows auto updating and I am automatically deploying and you know that they, they, that should be really interesting. Yes, exactly. Like for instance, one of the things we have is uh, so there's a concept in both Grunt and Gulp that's called watch. So basically, yeah. it adds of like a file system watcher. So whenever you change, let's say a less file it automatically compiles into CSS. It, it triggers the compiler using that file system watcher. And so one of the things you do is that you open your project in Sublime, for instance, right? And you, you kick it off and all that. And then you start the watch task so that now you're ready to develop. So one of the things we do is that you can set a binding to any task, grunt or gulp, and associate that binding with a Visual Studio event. Okay. So for instance, there is an event that's called, you know, project open so you can set your watch task up to automatically start running when the project opens that means you don't have to worry about uh automatically starting these uh, manually starting all these processes and right. the, the command line and all that visual studio just takes care of it but it's the exact same thing as if you went to the command line and started the watch task right that's important to, to stress here yeah. there's nothing visual studio specific about it it's just we do these shortcuts we do these abstractions to make it easier make it better make it faster it's uh, just firing the command for you yeah that's all it is so that's really exciting and we ship node actually in the box we ship grunt in the box we ship git um bower all of that is actually now in the box under the you know C it's not just jQuery anymore. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. You, and you guys have embraced it as it is, right? It's not like you've taken it and written a new interface to it and called it something else. I mean, it's no. going to look if you're if you're a grunt person, you're going to know. Exactly. That that was like like we were not going to do this unless we could do it uh, that way. Yeah. Um. So what we have in the the, the upcoming release is you can completely bypass the versions of node and grunt that we ship in the box and use your own. Um, so we didn't have that. We didn't have time to do that for the CTP five release. That's been out there for, for a little while now. Um, but now you can actually just set what the, what path should, should it look like, look in first. And so the global path, um, is by default lower than our visual studio install directory, right? Where we keep our local versions of node XE and grunt and all that. Mm, right. 
But go to tools option and you can just move the global path to be the first place that we look. And by doing that, you're automatically using your version of Node, your version of Git, your version of Grunt, your version of Gulp, Bower, and so on. And so awesome. it's super flexible and um, and Visual Studio will keep working. Like there's, if It doesn't matter if you use your own or you use our version of Node. It's, it, everything is still going to work. As long as Grunt works with having tasks and all that, uh, Visual Studio works with it. And that's that's I'm so pleased with that. Awesome. Mads, it's been a quick hour. Wow. Yeah. Oh, it's been an hour already. I yeah. mean, you could, we could probably go on, couldn't we? I mean, oh, there's yeah. so much more to talk about. <laughs> yes, definitely. All right, Mads. So Open you, sourcing our, uh, our CSS and other frameworks uh, that we use internally in Visual Studio. Will that be next time? Yeah, maybe. And we haven't <laughs> even talked about pricing or anything like that. That's not your no. department, though, is it? Oh, that no, it's not. Yeah. We'll talk to somebody else about that. But I think that's good. There's good news there, too. Yeah. Well, thanks again, Mads. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, guys. It's always a pleasure to be on the .NET Rocks. Great. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a